Well, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10 as we continue looking at uh, this wonderful Gospel from Matthew about the ministry and the life of our Savior. Uh, Matthew 10 is just an amazing chapter. And, and I will say this, I don't know if I've clarified this from the pulpit, but the timing of our Wednesday night Bible study on missions and the timing of this chapter were not planned. I think the Lord has allowed us to go through His Word in such a way uh, that it aligned well with Tony and Gene Floyd as they were they wanted to come and lead us and serve us in studying Scripture about missions and world evangelism. I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think the Lord is directing this, and He may be preparing our church for something um, in world evangelism. Right, And I think it's important to understand from Scripture what that looks like because, um, let's just admit it, the church has been doing missions and evangelism for a long time. And in our modern era of the American church, we have methods uh, of doing it. I think it's important for us to stop and look at what Scripture says and so I, and to allow the Lord to prepare us for any calling to missions or ministry of proclaiming the gospel that he may be preparing us for. You may be sitting here and the Lord may be beginning to work in you about doing something more than what you're currently doing as far as spreading the gospel. And if that's the case, I ask you to listen to the words of our Lord today, to listen to God's word and allow him to speak to your heart. Amen. So if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. These are the words of our Savior as He is teaching His twelve apostles. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you on in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the words of your Son here in this gospel. Even as he is teaching his disciples, Lord, I... I you're teaching us here today. Lord, we are complacent Christians in our American situation, in our Western freedom and security. We do not really understand persecution that Jesus is speaking of here. But Lord, I do pray that you would prepare our hearts for those times that you have called us to that are dangerous, those times that you have called us to that are uh opposed to your word, you challenge us and you command us to preach. And so God, speak to us in your word. Please prepare our hearts. Please stir us 
pray God anyone in this room or anyone who's listening who you are preparing for a time of persecution, that they would hear your words here and that they would be encouraged, but they would be prepared. Lord, let this time be for you. Please speak as you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. I want to begin this morning by reading from the third chapter of Genesis, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. You all remember that verse? That's the beginning of Genesis. It is the introduction to the fallen state of our world and the fallen state of humanity. That's important for us to understand as we look here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, as Jesus is cautioning his 12 and preparing his 12 that as they go out in this ministry, that they will face persecution. And he he mentions the idea of being wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. But if we go back to the very beginning of time, as God has created Adam and Eve in the garden and all that there is, in Genesis 3-1, the, 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 what ushered in the fall of this creation that made it so vile and violent is this very verse here, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That is something we have to ponder as we face a fallen world that opposes all things of God. The world is crafty. It is, they're shrewd. The world is dangerous, yet it's also very manipulative like the serpent was in Genesis 3. You see this? So why is this verse in Genesis 3 verse 1 so important to our text in Matthew chapter 10? I think in order to grasp what Jesus is saying in verse 16 and following, I think we have to begin with the state of God's fallen world. That the world we live in, this cosmos of God's creation, was handed over to Satan's control through humanity's willing exchange of God's voice for Satan's voice. Now let's, let's, let's pause here. Many people will question the faith of God. They will question Christianity and say, well, how come God created all things evil? He did not. It was the willing transfer of God's voice to Satan's voice that humanity willingly does. That is what causes God's perfect creation to be distorted and twisted. We have willingly traded God's voice for Satan's voice. That's what we have to remember here. Genesis 3 verse 1 tells us that the serpent was more crafty, or the King James says was more subtle than any other beast of the field that God himself had made. So God created this serpent. And he was crafty, he was subtle, he was deceiving. This beast, now when we get to this in Genesis 3, 1, and I don't want to belabor this point too much, this serpent is described as a beast that God has made. Depending on which theologian you talk to, you could see this, I mean, this was Satan speaking and deceiving Eve, but was this Satan's form in a serpent, or was it Satan possessing a beast 
of the serpent, that's splitting hairs. But regardless, it was Satan's voice working through this serpent, deceiving Eve. That's the problem. Now, the words of Jesus to his 12 apostles in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, when we read these, this is an obvious warning to them for this short-term ministry that they're undertaking. Remember, because they were called to preach to the cities and the villages of Judea. But, but there's a deeper point here that Jesus, he's the master who is preparing his disciples, his apostles, for what type of life and ministry that they would face for the remainder of their lives, too. Verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out. I am sending you out. To send out is the action of the verb apostolo, which is how we get the name apostles. To send out, that was their purpose. But also with this, Jesus is giving them a different level of authority with this sending out as well, which gives them a calling of uh, of power that they could heal and they could cast out demons. And that was a different calling for them. But they, the, the primary purpose was that Jesus was sending them. These apostles are sent into a specific danger. They're sent to a specific evangelism where the gospel is preached in a dark and fallen world. And Jesus here in verses 16 through 23, he's preparing them for this violence. He's preparing them for this darkness. So what is this fallen world here? Jesus helps us see this as he describes who they're going to run into. The fallen world can be defined this way. First of all, the nature of sinful men is savage. That's a great way to describe it. The nature of fallen men, all sinners, were savages. Savage beast comes out of us through the sin that we are trapped in. Would you agree? It's a violent opposition to God's grace. When God offers grace and mercy to us and gentleness and love, and we thumb our nose at him, that's an act of violence against him. And then likewise, we become violent toward one another and we become violent to the very message of the gospel of God's grace and forgiveness made available to us. And we're violent against it. We're acting like beasts. And this is the state of the world that we're called to live in. And it's the state of the world where we are called to preach the merciful kindness of salvation. We are called as God's people, just like Jesus is calling these apostles to be sent out into a dark and dangerous world. We live in a fallen, dangerous world. Yet we embrace it and behave more like the dangerous fallen world than we do the redeemed people of God. Too many times, right? And so Jesus is calling these apostles. He's he's commissioning them here. You are different. I am calling you and I am sending you out into a dangerous calling. And as such, you must be different. And here's what it's going to look like. Although men are cruel and although the sinful man is like a savage beast... Let's remember that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord can and he does soften the temper of the beast. 
That's at, that's at the very heart of the gospel, isn't it? Our Lord, despite the state of our world, he will soften and he will calm the, 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 the violence of sin, won't he? And he'll do it within each and every person that he redeems. It's only when this temper of, of our bestial nature, when it flares up against God, that we see the mystery of God's sovereignty as he controls even that. And he does it through his grace and his love. God can and he does allow the aggression, the, the, this aggressive nature of man to even dominate before the persecution of the preachers of the gospel. God is even in sovereign control of that. And as Jesus is describing this ministry to that his apostles are being sent to, you also hear a sense of power and sovereignty. I'm sending you out into a violent world, but you will have a message that's not yours. And I will even control those times that you're called before the magistrates and the, and the governors. And I'll even give you the words to say. You see the sovereign hand of God there? So all who God loves, he protects, but he also sends them into danger. But then all who God does not save, all those who God does not regenerate with the spirit of gentleness, they are by nature wolves out in the world. And Jesus applies this image of the wolf. Remember, when you read this text here, Jesus is using these imageries of animals to describe the ministry and to describe the world that these apostles are ministering to. So we've got to understand some of this. That's why we're bringing out this idea here of the fallen world being so violent. It's the way, it's the nature of the animal world, isn't it? Right? It, 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 there's some wisdom. I, I think uh, some of the kids in the Adkins family, or the Bumbleo family, y'all went to the zoo a few weeks back, I understand. The kids have been talking about it, right? Why do we have animals in cages? There's a reason for that, okay? We put them in a zoo, and, and we look at them as, oh, oh, in that, isn't that gorilla sweet? No, that gorilla will crush your skull, amen? That's the nature of the animal world. And that's the nature of the world that we are living in. So Jesus here, when he applies the image of, of animals, and particularly when he applies this image of the wolf directly to the enemies of the gospel, these are those who are far from being softened by the voice of the shepherd. These are the ones who are inflamed with anger. And they're the ones who are inflamed with great cruelty against the message of the gospel, and particularly against these apostles as they are going out into the world. So that's, this is part of what Jesus is doing here. So let's take a look here at verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's an interesting analogy. I want us to break this down because that, that's one of the main points here. Jesus does not prepare his apostles for this dangerous ministry by saying, go take your armor and go and smash the skulls of the enemies of God, does he? Here's what he says. He does not, he does not prepare them with taking armor or battlements, but instead he charges these apostles with caution and wisdom. These twelve really, they really don't have any greater power to repel the violent enemies of God more, any more than a sheep has the strength to repel against a wolf or a predator. 
That's what we're looking at here. Go out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How many sheep are going to be successful in repelling a wolf? Ain't going to happen. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. You are going out as sheep in the midst of wolves. In other words, here's the caution. I am sending you on a mission. Do not take with you the attitude that you have power over the demonic forces of, of the nat- of the supernatural, nor do you have power over the enemies of the gospel. They are going to consume you like wolves. Don't go out there and be deceived. Go out there as sheep among wolves. A sheep understands they don't have the power against a wolf. They're weak. If these 12 apostles have no greater power than a sheep, you almost can see that Jesus is sending them out almost into a suicide mission. I'm sending you out in a dangerous ministry here. So Jesus, he's not necessarily saying to these apostles, go out and be passive as sheep. He's saying you're going out with the same level of power that a sheep has against a wolf. That's what he's saying here. He's preparing them for what they're going to face. So he's not necessarily saying be passive like sheep. Just understand that you are going to be like sheep amongst a predator that's going to consume you. And you're not going to have any other strength of your own to repel this rage of the wolf against that is like the enemies of God's kingdom. They're going to have no other defense than the message of Christ's gospel. That's the only armament that these apostles are given as they go on their ministry. The only thing you've got is the message I'm giving you. That's it. In other words, don't go out there thinking you're going to smash wolves in the skull. You know more than a sheep up against a wolf. So therefore, these men, they're going to have to depend upon Jesus. They're going to have to depend upon the message of the gospel as the strength and the only defense that they got. Remember when we looked at the first part of chapter 10, Jesus is driving the point home. Remember verses 5 through 15. Don't take anything with you on this ministry. Don't take any food. Don't take any money. Don't even take an extra bag. Depend on everything that I provide for you. Therefore, depend on me in this ministry. Here it goes even further. As you're going out amongst the wolves, you must depend upon me, your savior and your master. You must depend upon the message I'm giving you and nothing more. That's all you've got. These men must depend upon Jesus as the only strength and the only defense that they're going to have, just like a sheep would against a wolf. The sheep has no defense against a wolf. The only defense they have is the shepherd, period. It's the shepherd who can strike the wolf and defend them against the wolf. The sheep has no defense against that predator. Just likewise, these 12 apostles, the only defense they've got is their Lord. That's it. Now, Romans chapter 12 helps us understand here the Christian who goes against evil and goes against a fallen world. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 12 verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That's important for us to be reminded of at this point. And then he goes on further in Romans chapter 12 verse 14, the Apostle Paul says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. That'd be the only defense that a sheep would have against a wolf. A sheep is not going to be able to fight a wolf. A sheep is going to be only able to bless that enemy of the gospel 
with kindness. That's all a sheep has. <laughs> That's it. So now, but it's imperative, imperative, I think, for us to remember that Jesus does not call these apostles and, and we as the citizens of his kingdom. He's not telling us that we have to carry the demeanor of a sheep. Because when you look at the demeanor of a sheep, a sheep is very stupid. Anybody ever been around sheep? Okay, they're very dependent creatures. They're very dependent. They really can't think much on their own. They really depend on a shepherd of some kind in order to function. So Jesus is not necessarily saying be dumb. Don't be the, don't have the demeanor of the sheep. He, he, but, but he's calling us to do something else. Look here in verse 16 uh, in the last part. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, I don't know many sheep who are wise as a serpent, but this is where Jesus is carrying the imagery here. Be wise, you're sheep amongst wolves, but be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is the main point I want us to understand here today. What does that mean? To be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, while being a sheep amongst a dangerous predator. What does that look like? Let's take a look at this. In other words, to be wise as serpents, Jesus is saying you need to practice discernment in your ministry. Just don't go out there willy-nilly and free-for-all and whatever happens, happens. He's also saying you've got to be wise here. Let's think here about, I mean, this is the direct application of what Jesus is saying in the ministry here. This is the direct application of verse 16. Jesus, he's used the image of animals to describe the nature of man. He's also using the imagery of animals to describe the ministry of the apostles. And this addition of serpents and doves is unique. To be wise as a serpent implies the nature of the beast of the serpent. You remember the serpent in Genesis 3.1 was a beast the more, most crafty of all the beasts that God himself had made. Craftiness, shrewdness, wise. This is the nature of the serpent. And Jesus wants the preachers of his gospels to incorporate this nature in their dealings with the wolves while not being a serpent themselves. He's not saying go out there and be evil like the serpent was evil. But you're going to have to practice some craftiness and some wisdom just like the serpent employs because that's your enemy. <laughs> Their enemy is the, the serpent. So you're going to have to understand your enemy here and practice shrewdness. Think about this. To be wise as a serpent implies behave the way a serpent does against an enemy. Anybody ever, anybody ever tried to kill a snake? Anybody ever been brave enough to try to kill a snake or do you just run away from the snake like I do? All right. Don't ask me to kill a snake. I'm just going to run away. I'll let Rhonda take care of the snakes in the garden. That's not going to be me. Amen. There's a reason that we run away from snakes. I mean, a snake brings terror whenever it comes around. But at the same time, a snake is reviled. I don't know anybody who likes snakes and is actually a normal person. Okay. If you like snakes, I'm going to say you're not normal because God said that when the snakes come, there's evil amongst them. We look at a snake. There's something about a snake that's just not right. And a serpent, but think about this. The serpent is not stupid. The serpent knows how hated he is. A serpent knows that all other creatures that he's about to strike 
hates him too. And how does a serpent work? The serpent knows that he is hated, that he's reviled, and he wisely hides in the rocks. And whenever you come against him, when he's ready to strike you, what does the snake do? What does he put in front of himself? What He puts a little distance between him and the person he's about to strike, but he also puts his body his tail towards you. And he kind of curls back and his head's back here and his body's in the front. And so he's protecting himself, ready to strike when it's right. That's how a serpent works. Now Jesus is almost saying, think like the serpent a little, little bit here. Think about your enemy, how he works. The serpent protects its head by pushing its body forward to the enemy. Now, if Jesus is the head of the church... Ephesians chapter 4. If he's the head of these apostles, I think partly what Jesus is implying here about be wise as serpents is protect the head. Protect me. Protect the message. Protect my name. As they are to protect the head at all costs here. Here's what St. Augustine of Hippo says about snakes. Augustine says this, In place of our head, which is Christ, we should offer our body to persecutors so that the Christian faith is not, as it were, killed within us when we spare our body and deny God. In other words, you're going out, be wise as a serpent, protect the name of the gospel, protect the name of your Savior, Jesus Christ, and if necessary, sacrifice your body to protect the head. That's what a serpent does. How much more should we, when we have the greatest treasure and the greatest gospel and the greatest glory of all to protect Be wise like a serpent. Sacrifice your body if necessary. Protect the head. The meaning of wisdom here, when we look here at be wise as serpents, the meaning of wisdom is not that of the same word of wisdom that we that we see in the wisdom literature of Proverbs and Job and Song of Solomon and all. That wisdom is a wisdom of prudence, a wisdom of wise choices. This wisdom, this very word here in the Greek, is a much different word. It is a word that implies to be shrewd. To be shrewd. Not to be prudent, but to be shrewd, to be cunning, to have sharp thinking. In other words, to to have piercing actions that have targeted purpose, that type of shrewdness. That's how a snake works. A snake is not going to strike just to strike. A snake is going to strike with precision and targeted focus. That's the type of wisdom that Jesus is saying here. Be wise as serpents. In other words, be as shrewd as the serpent is shrewd. He challenges the twelve. You cannot allow the wisdom of the serpent to be stronger than the wisdom I give you. Everything Jesus does in the Gospels has a purpose and a target. Amen? Nothing Jesus does in the Gospels is random. And so he is challenging his 12. You've got to be as wise as the serpent. And everything you say, everything you do on this ministry must be, must be discerned with shrewdness. As you come against the enemies of the gospel, they're going to be shrewd. You must be better. That's what he's saying. Instead, this, this idea of wisdom, this sharpness, you got to think clearly. You can't just be loosey-goosey and random out there because the serpent is sharp. You've got to be sharper. 
And it's interesting here that Jesus, as he calls these 12 apostles to practice what the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 practiced, this craftiness or shrewdness or this subtleness, to be subtle. That's what the King James says. When you're dealing with the aggression of the enemies of the gospel, you've got to be better. After all, it was this subtle, this subtle nature of the serpent, this craftiness of the serpent in Genesis 3 that deceived mankind into trading the voice of God for the voice of Satan. And so this is Jesus' opportunity in his ministry to prepare his apostles. We're going to take back the world here. We're taking back what Satan stole. You're going to have to be more shrewd than the serpent but innocent like a dove. That's an interesting harmony, isn't it? (laughs) In no way does Jesus call his disciples to behave like little Satans here. In no way is Jesus saying, you've got to go out there and be just as mean and deceitful as a serpent. No, you're also supposed to be innocent like a dove and your shrewdness. Amen? You're not going to be like a little Satan. Instead, you're going to practice wise caution. You're going to practice specific strategy in your dove-like innocence. Now that is a balancing act. Amen? Because many of us as Christians think to be innocent like doves means to be passive and meek and to be passive and just kind and gentle. No, we, there's gentleness in shrewdness. There, because if the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest power and the greatest truth, and it is the truth, we have nothing to fear. Yet we also don't act with deceit and malice like a serpent does. We can also be innocent like doves while we're being strategic. That's what Jesus is saying here. So what does he mean here to be innocent like doves? A dove is naturally timid. Anybody ever been around doves? They're not very aggressive, are they? I mean, even when it comes to, like, if you've ever tried to feed a bunch of doves, yeah, they're going to go after the food, but I don't see them killing each other trying to get to it, do you? They're almost a little skittish, right? Almost a little skittish. They're, they're timid. They're prone. A dove is prone to predators, right? A dove imagines itself safe as they're flying around until they suddenly find themselves within reach of a predator and they're struck down like that. Not even seeing it coming. But this harmony of of this innocence with shrewdness, that's what Jesus is calling the apostles to as they preach the gospel. Jesus encourages disciples here not to be passive and to fear danger, but but they, they they should have enough fear in them to be aware of the predators that are out there. Because if they're not careful, if they're not aware of the danger, they're going to falter in their mission to preach the gospel. So we have to be aware of the danger. We have to be aware of the predator. That's what Jesus is saying here. C.S. Lewis helps us see this too. He says this, The more a man was in the devil's power, the less he would be aware of it. The more that you are in the devil's power the less you are aware that you're in his power. It's the people who are fully awake and trying hard to be good who would be most aware of the devil. Think about that. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. I think that's rich. Those who do not realize that they are in the devil's power are the ones who feel as if all is going well but that is exactly where the devil wants you to be. (laughs) 
He doesn't want you to even believe that there are devils available and out there still working. There are devils everywhere and they are subtle and they love to get Christians comfortable. Jesus is saying here, I think, you got to be aware of your enemy. You got to be fully awake. And if you're fully awake and you're focused on the gospel and you're aware of the enemies of the gospel, they are going to come after you and you're going to be alert as they come. That's the point here. You've got to be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. Now let's look here at verses 17 through 19. This is where Jesus says, take this charge of wisdom or shrewdness and innocence And here's what it's going to look like in your ministry. Verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. What is Jesus saying here in these verses? You are going to be thrown in front of some dangerous men who are in authority because of the gospel I'm commanding you to preach. You will face enemies. And this is what he's saying it looks like. So there seems to be a balance here that these apostles, as they preach the gospel, they're to be shrewd yet innocent in their application of the ministry. In other words, he's saying, don't bring a reproach amongst yourselves when you're challenged by these magistrates and kings, these governors, these religious elites. Don't throw yourself in front of them with anything that they can use against you. Christian, are you hearing me? If we are to be called to be a witness to a fallen world and the world looks at our behavior and says, you're not acting like a Christian. Look at what you just did. You've given your enemy a weapon. If we act like our enemies, they have weapons to come against us. If we act like our Savior, they have nothing that they can come against us with. Because as you're called before these governors and kings, as you're drugged before the religious elite in the in the synagogues, you're going to be called to answer for your actions. And if your actions are tainted by behaving like an evil predator of the gospel, then the enemies of God will pick up on that and use that against your witness. So as you're called before them, you must be wise as a serpent, yet innocent as doves. When we see this in the book of Acts, when we read in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are drugged before the Sadducees, and the witness of their ministry could not be challenged. They had to be released because there was no deceit in these men. And they stood firm before their accusers and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly and truthfully and with no malice. They said so in Acts chapter 4. When we look at Acts chapter 6, we even read the the story of Stephen. Now, Stephen was not an apostle. He was actually set apart and called as as a deacon. But when you look at his ministry... His ministry was just like an apostle. It was full of grace and power, and he was doing great wonders and signs in Acts chapter 6. His ministry was like that of an apostle. Yet Stephen was drugged before 
uh, a, and actually it was a, a rebellious sect called the synagogue of the freedmen. <laughs> if you read in Acts chapter six, he was dragged before this religious sect, the synagogue of the freedmen, and he was accused of, of heresy. And, and here's what Acts chapter six, verse 10 says about Stephen as he's standing before his accusers before they stone him to death. Acts chapter six, verse 10 says this, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he, Stephen, was speaking. It was the spirit of God, the voice of God himself through Stephen's actions and through Stephen's words that even the accusers, those who hated the gospel, could not ignore. That's power, isn't it? That's not of us. And we're called to this precious treasure of the gospel. Now we can also see here this nature of the dove. I would say, I think you could reasonably make a tie here that as Jesus is speaking about being innocent as doves, there could be a connection here tying it to the image of the Holy Spirit when Jesus was baptized. Remember in Matthew chapter 3? As Jesus was baptized and he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. So this, this reference that Jesus is using, being innocent as doves, in other words, you be as innocent as the Spirit rests upon you. You're representatives of God's Holy Spirit here. Now let's, let's go down further. Verses 20 through 21 and 22. Verse 20. Jesus continues, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What is Jesus saying here in verse 20? When he says here, it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. That should give encouragement to all who preach the gospel. Do not be afraid of the words that come out of your mouth. If you are genuinely in the faith and you are genuinely in the will of God and Christ is genuinely in you, when you are called to witness, it is not your words anyway. Those of us who are timid and afraid to speak, I think this is one verse that you need to remember. (laughs) If you're afraid of what to say, trust the Lord. It's not your words anyway. You're called to be the messenger. Amen? When these apostles are attacked for their message, when they're attacked for their allegiance to the name of Christ, Jesus is saying here in verse 20, they're to be dependent upon the Spirit of God the Father for their defense. There's no need to behave like the savages when defending the gospel, because the words that come from you are not from savage hearts. The words that come from you come from the Spirit of God. These apostles are again commanded to depend upon the source of their salvation here, not upon themselves. They're to depend upon the source of their salvation, Jesus Christ, for the defense of their evangelistic message, their ministry. And in verses 21 through 22, as he talks about brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated for all my namesake. Does that not sound like United States of America, July of 2021? Anybody know what woke culture looks like right now? 
Oh my goodness, they're acting like a Christian. We have to cancel them. Well, Jesus is saying right here, what do you, what, what's, what's so surprising about that? It's going to come. Amen? It's, it's here, folks, in more ways than we've ever seen before in my lifetime. Why are you afraid of that? Why are you pushing back against wokeism when Jesus right here says it's going to happen? Why be afraid of it? And why attack it the way that they attack you? Why behave like your predators? Behave like my messengers. You have to be more wise and more shrewd than your enemies. And I've given you all that you need. And the words that you say are not yours anyway. They're me speaking through you. Christian, hear me. Do not be vile and nasty against the enemies of the gospel. It's going to get worse. Do we stand truthfully for the gospel? Yes. How do we stand truthfully? Here's why Jesus says, you are wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Be as innocent as a dove, yet wiser than your enemy. Because the gospel is worthy. If they come against you with maliciousness and, and, and false accusation, don't turn around and do the same. Speak the truth. Stand firm for the truth. And when you stand firm for the truth, when you defend the gospel, when you are called to for a defense of the gospel, then the words that come will be so true that your enemies cannot help but agree. That is the ministry. We live in a totally secular world now. We live in a state that has rejected God in all public expression. That is the Western culture now. It almost makes me want to leave the United States and go somewhere where it's more spiritual. Amen? But we're called to be here. We live in a secular state that has rejected any idea of God. If you mention anything of God, it's wrong. It's, almost, it's really almost to the point of being illegal. We still have a long way to go, folks. But that's where we live. We live in a, the, the definition of secular is the absence of anything godly. That's the definition of secular. And Europe has been this way for a hundred years or more now. The United States is here. Our thoughts are focused on the self rather than the creator. Our thoughts are focused on the worship of human achievement rather than the sovereignty of the creator God. That's the definition of the secular world we live in. Amen? And that's the ministry that we are called to, just like these apostles are called to this dangerous ministry. And so Jesus warns his apostles, really, of a dystopia that is more than literary fiction. You know what dystopian fiction is? <laughs> when you look to a future world or a future situation that is just dysfunctional, it's, it's popular in science fiction. Matter of fact, some movies have come out in recent years. Hunger Games, that was a dystopian literature, right? That's the world we live in. But Jesus warns his apostles of a reality that is more dangerous than any literary book can imagine. Family will deliver family over to death. Hatred will define the response to our ministries. That's the world that Jesus sent his disciples into. That's the world he has sent us into. It's no different. And so these words here in Matthew chapter 10 should be encouraging for us. Look here at the end of verse 22. 
If we are hated because of Jesus' name, the one who endures to the end will be saved. saved. Amen? We call this the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It is rooted in Christian doctrine and Christian history. The perseverance of those who come against persecution will be the evidence that they are saved. Yet we live in a world where somebody comes and walks the aisle and shakes the preacher's hand, or they come to the preacher and they say, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? And you never see him in church again. You never see them living like a Christian again. You never see them actually standing firm for the gospel again. You see them living a life where somebody who knows them would never even know they're a Christian. Yet this word right here in verse 22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. To endure means you've got to stand firm against persecution. You've got to stand firm against assaults. And they're not assaulting you, they're assaulting Christ. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has changed you and Jesus Christ lives in you, guess what? You're a target. Expect it. And don't act like your enemies. Be wiser than your enemies. And act like a dove. And be targeted in your words. Be targeted in your opportunities to speak. That's one thing that I will admit I have to do more on. I have to be more discerning in when I speak and what I say. Anybody guilty of that? That's what Jesus is calling his people to be. Be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. And if we dis, and if we persevere through this dark ministry that we're called to. We are called by Christ to this. And if we endure through what Jesus has called us to, if we endure through the spiritual warfare, in the end, we will stand firm before our Father in heaven. And He will look at us on the judgment day and He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In the end, you will be saved. Now the Apostle John, and this will close with this, The Apostle John, who would have been listening to this message of his Savior, the Apostle John speaks of this in his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John, the beloved Apostle, the one that Jesus loved, here's what he says in 2nd John chapter 7, I'm sorry, 2nd John verse 7 through 11, he says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. He's describing right here, the enemies of the gospel. Watch yourselves, he says, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Listen to the caution here from the Apostle John. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. He's cautioning the church here. There's going to be many deceivers amongst you. There's going to be many people who claim the name of Christ. But when they do not live as Christ, they're deceivers they're little, 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 little Satans. <laughs> okay? Gotta be cautious here. And then in 1 John chapter 2 verses 18 through 19, here is, here's the encouragement from the apostle John. He says, 
Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. That's the perseverance of the saints that Jesus is talking about here. If you endure to the end, you will be saved. But if you do not endure, that's a sign that you were never part of the gospel in the first place. John says this, Therefore we know that this that they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So what is Jesus saying here to his disciples and to us? It's a command that he is sending out his apostles to proclaim the gospel. I would say he's doing the same for us. We are commanded as God's people to preach the gospel, to live it. But let's not deceive ourselves. We are going to be sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves. (laughs) And so for us to bemoan and whine and cry that our Christian nation has fallen apart, it's sad but it's not, it's not unexpected. It is sad that our nation has radically changed its perspective. It, it's very, it, it's traumatic. Yet church, hear me. Jesus warned us about it here in Matthew chapter 10. I'm not sending you out on an easy ministry. I'm sending you out in a difficult one. Those of us who want an easy Christian life, I think the words of Jesus are pretty clear. Those of us who are willing to endure whatever Christ sends us into, oh, that's going to result in a reward that you can't even imagine right now. I want to encourage us in that. Stand firm for the gospel. Be wise as a serpent. Be shrewd. Be discerning. Choose your words. Choose your timing. Yet be innocent like a dove. Father God Almighty, we thank you for your word. As your son, Jesus Christ, sends out his 12 apostles here, Lord, you send us out as well. We may not have the power to cast out demons and may not have the power to heal the way these apostles did, but we have the same ministry and the same message. And God, forgive us for thinking that we've got it easy. Forgive us for being lazy in our approach to your call. If we have been lazy, forgive us. If we have been zealous for the gospel, then there will be persecution that comes. And God, I pray that you would stand firm with us. Keep us wise enough not to go running into foolish situations. But dear God, when those dangerous times come, when persecution comes against our character, when it comes against us even physically, when it comes against us even legally in our society, Lord, I pray that at that time, the words that we speak would be the words from your spirit. But Lord, that takes preparation. And now is the time for that. And so, God, I I ask you that all who are hearing these words, who have heard your word read today and who's hearing from your spirit now, Lord, I pray that you would love them, but strengthen them from the inside out. Strengthen them with the presence of of your son. Strengthen them with the presence of your spirit. Give them discernment. 
Give them shrewdness. Give them innocence. Give them compassion. Let them stand firm for you on that judgment day. Lord, we need you. We depend on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.